Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Thanks, Pastor Aaron, for having me speak today. You know, if anyone don't know me, my name is Derek. I get to serve as the creative pastor here alongside my beautiful wife with the executive pastor. And so usually when I get to stand up here, I get to talk about like creative things and like arts. And I try and like model the sermons based off of what like I know. And then Pastor Aaron said, you're going to talk about parenting. And your laugh was the exact same one that I had. Because I was like, okay. Okay, let's do this. So uh, I'm going to prepare you now. I'm just going to apologize. Just in in case I say something that may be a little sticky, in case I say something that's maybe a little, uh, get under the skin a little bit, and I definitely want to apologize to any kids who are in the room because y'all ain't going to like me much after this because I'm going to give your parents some really bad ideas and maybe some, they're they're good ideas to me, but you're probably not going to like them a whole lot. So We are going to jump into this uh, series. This is the second week of our Parenting on Purpose series, and and I want to be clear to say that this is Parenting on Purpose. I'm going to talk a lot today about intention. I'm going to talk a lot about how you don't become a great parent and a God-honoring parent on accident, right, because it's on purpose. So we're going to jump into this right off the rip, and I'm going to ask a simple question. Is how many of you love to give your kids gifts? A few hands, all right. How many of you love to get gifts? Less hands, come on. There's never less hands for getting gifts than giving gifts. All right. Yeah, we love to give gifts, right? As, as parents, we want the best for our kids. The Bible even says that, right? In Matthew 7, 11, it says, so if you sinful people, these are the people who are far from God, who are not necessarily living for God. It says, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? right? This is saying like, there are people who don't know God. They don't even know what it's about, but yet they're still generous. They want to give incredible things to the people around them, to their children. How much more do we as parents want to do that? Like God, how much more does he want to give incredible gifts to us? I don't know about you. What I thought is I'm a really good gift giver. It turns out I'm not, if you ask my daughter. Just recently, I bought her a sweatshirt that had like mushrooms on it because she loves mushrooms. She's been drawing them on her hands. I don't know where she gets that from, but she draws mushrooms. She loves mushrooms. And then I give her the sweater. She goes, what's the sweatshirt? Like, I like mushrooms, but that was like, that was like three years ago. It's like, first of all, false, because I know I've seen them since then. So my ideas of of gift giving are usually way better than they actually are. Because I think as we as parents, we want to give good gifts. We want to give them the best, but eventually we get worn down. We get tired, right? We have really good intentions. We want to give the kids everything that we can. (sighs) But then there's that breath at the end of the day. And it's like, I just don't have anything else in me. You know, we have one kid. We've got our beautiful daughter, Dresden, who is 15 and a half. I got to say that because she will make sure I say a half. So we have one, but I love talking to parents and they're talking about like pacifiers. They say their first kid that pacifier falls on the ground. They are sterilizing it. They are boiling it. They're making sure that everything is perfect. The second kid comes along and they're just kind of like pop it in their own mouth and then like pop it in the kid's mouth. Eventually the third kid comes along and they're just like right back in, right? You get tired. You get worn out. Things change as time goes by. But ultimately we want the best for our kids. 
But I do have a question is what happens when we give them things, we give them gifts that actually hurts them? So I want to talk to today about three gifts, but ultimately I want to talk about three things that could hurt them. We talked about we want them to be happy. Sometimes that's all we care about. Sometimes we care more about their happiness than what, what their future is going to look like. We care more about their happiness than how they're going to grow and sometimes more than their hygiene and sometimes more their future potential. Their happiness is first. But I can tell you firsthand that we need to worry less about today's happiness and more about today, or sorry, tomorrow's readiness. Who they're going to grow up to be is far more important than an immediate, right now, not lasting happiness, right? How many times have we been scolded by something where we're like, that kind of stings, but we know what's for the best? How many, when you were like 12, 13, loved your parents to death and thought every decision they made was perfect? My mom's in the room, so I really. <laughs> perfect. But how many of you look back on it now and say, man, I get it? I didn't get it at the time, but I get it now. Happiness may not be, or definitely is not as important then as it's going to be who you grow up to be. We want our kids to grow up to love God and be decent adult human beings. That is my mantra for my daughter. I want her to love God and I want her to grow up to be a decent human being. That's what I want. That's the simplest things I can break it down to. But if we look at happiness only, and those are the gifts that we give, that's all we do, it's going to do three things, or those are the, the three things that we're going to do, uh, the gifts we're going to give that could be detrimental. First one is we give them things they didn't earn, right? How many of you guys have been in a grocery store when kids are just losing their mind and the parents are like, fine, take a toy, take everything, get out of the store, just stop being crazy. And the kid gets his candy, he's like, yep, I win, Right? We were at a volleyball, I don't mean to tell more stories, but we were at a volleyball game, my daughter plays volleyball, and the kid in front of me was on his mom's shoulders and he had a sucker in his mouth. He was just like staring at me awkwardly, but he dropped the sucker. And his kid card started crying and the mom's like, no, you don't get another sucker, you dropped it. He kept on crying, she's like, fine, fine, fine. She gets another and gives him a sucker. Turns back around and just stares at me. <laughs> Eventually he's playing around with it and she's like, you're gonna drop the sucker, put it back in your mouth. He drops the sucker. Well, that's it, you don't get another one, sure enough. Starts crying. What's he get? Another sucker. This happened four times. Eventually, that kid is staring at me like, yeah. I got this lady wrapped around my finger. What does that do? That it creates entitled children, right? They realize eventually I'm going to raise enough stink. I'm going to complain enough. They're going to give me everything I want. And our culture enforces entitlement as well. You see it on TV. You see it on social media. If you don't have this, you need this. Go get this. And if you're a kid, your only option is for your parents to do it. So what do you do? You raise holy hell until you get what you need. I hate to be the, the, the old guy in the room. I'm not that old, but I feel old because I, I'm, a very, I'm a traditionalist in a lot of ways. So one of the things is participation trophies. I, I heard a lot of grunts. I'm so sorry. It is not my thing. Participation trophy says you get an award for showing up. That's it. That is the baseline, that is the, the expected of you, that is everything that is. I can tell you, as a husband, I don't get a participation trophy. When I roll out of bed, my wife is not sitting there with our marriage certificate and a plate of bacon saying, you showed up, baby, I love you. I don't get that. And our kids shouldn't do. They have to earn it, right? I can tell you, one of the best things we can do is give our children the blessing of earning the blessings. 
That might sound harsh, but it's valuable. This is, you want to go to a friend's house, finish your chores. You want to play video games, do the dishes like you're supposed to. You want, you want this new thing. You're going to have to work for it. You want a car when you're 16. You know, maybe it's you raise half the money. Well, if we can afford it, we'll raise the other half. We'll do this for you. But they got to earn it, right? It means so much more to them when they are able to earn those blessings. They might not like it in the moment, but they're going to do it. Cell phones. My daughter knows right now it's her cell phone, but it's my cell phone. At any given point, hello, at any given point, it's like blink. Um, I can check that cell phone. Why? Because I pay for it. It's mine. She knows that. Cell phone check. Yep. Chirp. Go through it. I own that cell phone. She works for it. And when she does something wrong, it becomes my cell phone again very quickly. A lot of the kids in this room are thinking, that's not okay. I apologize in advance, giving your parents ideas. But listen, parents, this is, this is my call to you. Your children are not your peers. Your children are not your peers. Thank you right? It is our calling from God to shepherd them, to lead them, to influence their lives, not to coddle them. We get, um, we get to help them make decisions that are going to change their life forever. My daughter's walking across the back of the room. Everyone look at her. <laughs> Sorry, it's caught me off guard. So that's the first thing we do is we give them gifts they don't earn. The second thing we do is we give them praise they don't deserve. This one sounds really, really, really harsh, I know. But we love our kids. We don't tell them, you're the smartest, you're the prettiest, you're the best kid in the entire world. But ultimately, sometimes, not always, some of y'all luckier. That sounds bad. Sorry. Sometimes your kids aren't the smartest or the prettiest or the best. It's just the truth. And study after study after study has said that when praise is cheap, it robs them of their confidence. When you praise them for every single thing they do, they don't have to rely on God to give them confidence. They're relying on your words now. As someone who grew up as a creative kid who wanted to do nothing but draw and paint and create things and bring beauty into this world, I was surrounded by people who always raised me up and said, you're the best, you're so good at what you do, you're creative, you're so talented. And then I got to like high school era and I realized that there are so many people around me who are so much better than me. And what that did is that created anxiety in me for the longest time. I am 36 years old. At the end of the year, last year, I picked up a pen and markers and started drawing and painting again for the first time in probably 15, 20 years. Because honestly, I let the people who I was around as a teenager give me so much praise for what I was doing and who I was that it crippled me through it because now I had to do better and draw better and create better in order to get people to love me again. And that's something I have fought for for a long time to get through. Overpraising can create anxiety. If I'm not the best, if I can't be the best, I won't be loved. This robs kids and adults, again, of having to put that confidence in God who gives it to them. Not their doing, not, their, not what their grades are, not what this is, but it's who God made them to be. 
God made them special, not their abilities. Now, I'm not saying don't praise your kids, obviously. We want them to have confidence. We want them to do it. But it's better to praise the process than to praise the person. Everyone get that? It's not saying you're the smartest. It's you worked incredibly hard. You did such a good job through all that, and you raised the grades to where you needed to be. You brought the best. You honored God. It's not just saying you're an incredible person, right? Because now they have to achieve incredible person. Oh, you, you, uh, you honored God? Well, I, I can do that. I can honor God. I can't always just be incredible. We praise them for what they're doing to honor God, honor themselves through what they're doing. So we praise them for things they didn't earn. We praise them for things they don't deserve. And the, next, the third thing we do that can hurt our kids is we give them freedoms they can't handle. Some of us are really protective of our kids, which is fine and right. You can't stay outside past dark. But here's a cell phone full of darkness. Don't talk to strangers. Strangers with candy are bad. Yet, here's Instagram that is just full of strangers and people who are going to speak to your kids more than you are. Snapchat, right? Yeah, we give kids cell phones in middle school, y'all. Here's a cell phone. Don't get addicted to porn as a 13-year-old boy. Don't get, hope you don't get sexed on Instagram. Hope you don't deal with FOMO by doom-scrolling TikTok. You don't deal with isolation, depression, anxiety, anxiousness. It's the same thing, right? We, we give them freedoms in certain ways, and they're just not ready for it. What I know is that we as humans can't do anything halfway, right? Who here goes, I'm going to stop at like this level and I'm done. No, we get all the way to the uh-oh. And that is the level in which we realize we've had enough. But that uh-oh is usually way, way too far. The kids are the same way. They want to do everything and they're going to do it to the ultimate level. I'm not just going to have Instagram. I'm going to have 10,000 people following me who I have no idea who they are. What we have to do is we have to gradually transfer dependence from us and on to God. We give them freedoms as they grow more responsible. We give them freedoms as they become older and wiser and know how to handle those freedoms. Because if we do it too early, that's, it's not going to shape up good. And culture is just helping this, guys. Culture is encouraging us to mindlessly parent. We get to the school line and we're like, get out of the car. Bye, have a good day. We're going home. Everyone else is going to figure it out for you. We, give, we get our kids stuck into this trap of entitlement because we give things they didn't earn. We help them find all new insecurities by giving them praise they don't deserve. And we get our kids caught in bondage and in sin by giving them freedoms they can't handle yet. So what do we want to give our children? If we want our kids to love God and to grow up to be happy, healthy adults, what do we do? Pastor Aaron last week talked about the Shema. Does anyone remember that? This is, a, uh, this is the most recited prayer, most essential prayer in Jewish cultures uh, in the Old Testament. I'm going to read that aloud here. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4, 9. It's called the Shema. So as we're going to break that down throughout today, I want to talk about three gifts we want to give our children. These are the three things that we can do to fight the three bad things. The first one is we want to give them a community worth having. The second one is a standard worth achieving. The third one is a faith worth sharing. If you take nothing else away from this today, I want you guys to remember those three things. Can you say them with me? The first one is a community worth having. Second one is standard worth achieving. The third one is a faith worth sharing. Thanks, production team. So I look at it too. Like, so the first one we're going to talk about is a community worth having. So we're going to go back into that, that passage from Deuteronomy, and it says, Oh, hear, or hear, oh, Israel. Pause. That doesn't say, oh, hear, Kyle. That doesn't say, oh, hear, person, individual, uh, Jew, Gentile, Levite. It says, oh, Israel. It's talking to everyone. It's talking to a community. Because this is a community worth having includes all of us as well. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, back in the day, in the Old Testament, a Jewish family wasn't just your nuclear family. It wasn't mom, dad, kid, kid, and a half a kid. I don't know where the half kid comes from, but it's two and a half kids, right? This was parents, children's, grandparents, nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, even the workers that worked in the fields were part of that family. You'd have 80 people in a family that this is referring to. That's a community worth having. I don't know about you guys, but you guys are my community. I look forward. <laughs> can always count on Kate for that. It's good. Aww. I can tell you one thing. If you ask Kyle and I what we did right in raising our kid, first of all, I would say, hmm. I can say is that we created a community for her. Not only did we help create Simple Church, we helped build this, an intentional Christ-centered community, but we encouraged her to find roots here herself. Even before Simple Church, we helped create and build C3 Church. And before that, we helped create Victory Church. And before, or after, between those, it was Hope City Church, right? We helped create and foster communities where she could strive and find God on her own. It wasn't her mom and dad's faith. It was her own. We wanted her to find roots, so we, we made sure that she was there. Listen, we have counseled, my wife and I have counseled a lot of parents who said, how do you get your kid to show up on church on Sunday? And I was like, What? She's not going to church on Sunday. We are a Christ-centered family. We all are at church on Sunday. It's not a punishment. My daughter doesn't have a drug problem. They say, my parents drug me to church. She doesn't have that problem. We are the church. The three of us are the church. From the day she was born until now and hopefully forever, she will be a part of church on Sunday because that's who we have raised her to be. It's not a place she attends. It's part of her heart. And I love that. I feel like something we did right. A lot of things we did wrong, y'all. I feel like we did that right. It's part of our family culture for us to attend a Christ-filled home. This is what Simple Church is. Speaking of homes, anyone here like interior design? Hand over here, hand over here. There's a few hands out here. In interior design, there's a principle that's literally just called focusing. 
Whereas in any room that you're in, your furniture is based around the focus of that room. In some rooms, a living room, what is all your furniture post, uh, focused around? TV. In that room, that is the most important thing. In your dining room, what is all your furniture focused around? The table, family, right? The event of dining together. In your kitchen, it's all focused around usually an island or a central area. It's kind of the triangle between all your appliances, right? It's focused into a center point where you're going to be. Where is the center of your family? If your family was a room, what is everything, what is everything you're doing focused around? What's it focused at? Is it focused around sports? Is it focused around your work? Is it focused around just your kids and what their activities and what they're doing? Or is it focused on God? Whatever the focus of your life and your family is, you need to point your family at it. Last week, Aaron said, who you or who and what you expose your children to will shape who they become and what they believe. I basically leave that there and walk away. Right? Who we expose them to is going to shape their beliefs and their attitudes. When I was growing up, uh, my youth pastor became one of my closest friends, Michael Krogan. He, uh, he started this very, he said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Now, I know people have said that for a long time, but I thought that was his. <laughs> so I was like, that is good. And I focused my entire life around that. I've kept people around me who I knew I wanted to emulate, who I wanted to be like. Because I wanted my future to be positive, to be good. So I surrounded myself with positive and good people. Because listen, whatever you did growing up, you didn't do alone, right? I can, I can tell you one thing. If you did something good growing up, you did it with really good friends, right? If you did something stupid growing up, you probably did it around really stupid friends. Who here had stupid friends? Who here was a stupid friend? <laughs> yeah, more hands almost, right? I had times when I was a little bit of both. I can tell you that when I was with my wrong friends, I made wrong choices. I wasn't kingdom-minded. I didn't respect my body. I didn't respect women. I didn't respect the things around me. I didn't respect my parents. But when I was around my good friends, I did good things. I honored God. I found new places to, to, to step up and to be a servant leader. And I did things that I thought were pretty, pretty were good because I had good friends. You don't do things alone. When I'm talking about friends, I know parents are going to say, well, I can't control my, friend, my kid's friends. Yes and no. You have a lot of influence over it. You're not helpless, right? You cannot pick your children's friends, but you can very, very much influence the environments that you put them in. If you find out at school that there's little Jeremy's over there eating glue and you don't like Jeremy, you make sure you talk to the teacher and the kid gets moved. Right? If they're on a sports team and they're getting out of hand, you find a new sports team for them. There's something with some positive kids that has the right things, the right ideas and ideals in mind. If you don't like what happens at certain family functions, what do we do? We, we remove our kids from those, those functions. We make sure that whatever environment we put them in is positive, is encouraging, is nurturing, is pointing them towards what we want them to focus on, pointing them towards God. You can avoid the environments that your kids, that you don't want your kids in. Because how else are your kids going to get to those environments? 
They're not driving there. Unless again, my daughter's 15 and a half. She's starting to drive. Now I've got some fear. It's not really fear because my hope is that I did a good enough job until now that when she's driving and she has that freedom, she'll make the right choices. There have been times when Dresdy was growing up that she had friends that we just, we weren't really sure about. Good girls, good, sweet girls. The parents were pretty good. I enjoyed hanging out with some of them, but their values just didn't always align. So we had to set boundaries. Yeah, you can hang out, you can have phone calls, you can go for parties, but maybe not sleepovers. Maybe not as much unattended time, time when you just don't know what's going to be able to happen because the parents might not control things the way you want to. They may not have the right ideals. So we were able to put that boundary in place. In the moment, does it feel kind of restrictive? Sure. But I can assure you that it's better in the end. If you're saying, well, I don't have any of those environments around me, I have a secret. This is like the super best secret kept ever in the world. Kidsmen meets every Sunday. If you're looking for an environment for your kids to find people who love them, who want the best for them, who want to make sure that your kids know God, love Jesus, right back there, right over here. Our kids are surrounding us right now, and they're surrounded with people who love them and want them to know God as much as you do. If you're like, well, my kids aren't that young. They're in junior high and high school. Guess what? Another secret, Ignite. We have programs for your kids to have incredible God-honoring environments. During the summertime, if you can afford it, summer camps, Christian camps. We've got, if you need resources, talk to Pastor Aaron, talk to Pastor Kyle. We got resources for incredible God-honoring summer resources. Have them go on a mission trip if they're old enough. Get them involved in the places where they can experience positive environments. So the first one we said was a spiritual community worth having. And again, that's summed up. Think about Ecclesiastes. It says two are better than one, right? We put them in environments that are better for them. Because I can assure you that when your kids get into good environments, they're not going to be, some people say, well, I don't want my kid to be the weird kid. I don't want them to, they're not going to be the weird kid because now they're surrounded with other like-minded kids who is like, well, you don't drink. That's weird. No, it's not weird. I don't drink other. How about that? Oh, you don't have premarital sex. That's weird. Oh, wait, no, it's not weird. I don't do that either. Oh, you read your Bible? That's so weird. No, it's not. I read my Bible too. Hey. I want my daughter to honor God, not just have a good time. And who they are with is going to determine who they will become. So the second thing that we can do is we can give them a standard worth achieving. Going back to Deuteronomy. Next part of that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not part of it. Not when it's convenient, not when you're in church or when you're in youth group or when you're around other people who love God. This is all the time. All your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. And we're not going to get our kids to do that by lowering our standards. Listen, in the Old Testament, before a child was 12 years old, they had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. I see someone in here like, my kid doesn't make their bed. How are they going to memorize five books of the Bible? And if you know what the first five books are, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, whoa. Ask me to memorize five books, that's not going to be them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, let's keep going. Those are the ones I prefer to memorize. Not the first ones that so begat, 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 begat. You've seen those names? But they would memorize them. 
But I can tell you, your kids can do something incredible like that too. If you don't expect much from your kids, you won't get much. But if you believe, like God believes, that your children are capable of more, they're likely going to believe it too. So how do we get our kids to love God with all their heart? I can tell you it's not going to be watching Christian TikToks. It's not going to be from getting their, their devos from online. And When I started talking to the Parks family, Charles back here on media, something he told me when we were talking about, I wanted to start a Bible plan with him. He's like, well, honestly, I'd love to, man, but my family already reads the Bible together every day. And I said, what? So yeah, yeah, we get, we get the entire family together and we go through the Bible and right now we're going through this part. And I said, really, dude? He's like, yeah. I was like, man, I'm really not good at this father thing. <laughs> it's incredible to me that, that Charles and, and the Parks family makes it intentional to get their kids in the word. They don't just punt them out of the car and say, hopefully someone tells them about Jesus because <laughs> I'm not here for that. Right? We have to create a language of standards. If we want to raise the standard, it's got to become who we are as well. This is, this is creating a language that becomes normalized in your family. So when you're, I speak to my daughter, it's don't just, oh, don't just go be good. Make wise choices. It's be all that God made you to be. Make sure you go honor God. It's not just, oh, just don't sleep around, don't get pregnant. It's maybe honor God with your sexual integrity. Remember, your body belongs to God. Maybe rather than listening to music with incredibly ungodly lyrics, maybe when we're in the car, I'm going to bump some worship music. Listen, if you say worship music boring, you hear our band today? Does anyone think that was boring? We need to connect with God so that our children can connect to God. Instead of just going to church, be the church. Serve. Show your children what it's like to serve God. Right? Because if you want to be a Christ-centered family, more than just a cultural Christian home, as Pastor Aaron said last week, we got to go to church more than once a month. That is the quickest way to get your kids to that mentality of, well, we're going to church this Sunday. I never want my daughter to ask me, hey, are we going to church this Sunday? Uh, do we drink water? Do you want to eat this week? Yes, of course, that's who we are. If your, if your kids are fighting back, well, well, I don't have any friends there. I don't know anyone. Invite your friends. Well, I don't have, I don't know anybody. Well, go get your best friend and bring them along. You know them. Them being, having their friends and maybe even sitting on a couch away from some of the thing is still better. They're going to hear, this message is broadcast out there. They're going to hear God whether they're focused in or not. And that is still better than sitting at home on the couch. They're actually capable of doing more. So we're going to give them a community worth having. We're going to give them a standard worth achieving. Third thing, last thing, is we're going to give them a faith worth sharing. Back to Deuteronomy 6-7. It says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. This is normalizing conversation about Jesus. 
This is normalizing conversation about God and your faith. I sat with a guy a couple months back and was just talking to him about what it is. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with my kids. They don't really want to come to church. They don't, they don't really care about God. And they're at an age that's impressionable. I just, I just want them to, I want them to know God. I said, well, okay, well, talk me through it. What are you, what are you talking to him about? Whoa, whoa, talking to him about? What are you talking about? I don't want to be weird. I want my kids to love God, but I, I don't want to be weird. I got news for you. If you talk about God, it's not weird. If it's normal, it's not weird. Weird simply defined is out of the usual. If you make it usual, it's not weird. That's like telling, it's like, I want my kids to love ice cream, but they ain't never been to graders. I heard today about putting cookies in ice cream. Do you hear? Y'all ever thought about that? That's good stuff, Jeff. Whatever you want normalized, you have to normalize. It has to become the most common, normal topic in your home. Because what we go back to what I said before, we want our children to have faith in God that's their own. Not your faith reflected back to them. Because if you wake up one day and just start talking about God and that's everything, your kids are going to see through it. Your kids know fake. How many kids they got in the room? There's some few hands. <laughs> How many of you know fake? When someone around you is not authentic and you start saying, eh, something's weird, it's off, you know it. We need to be a Christ-centered family, not a cultural Christian family, where Christ is not part of our life. He is our life. And we as parents model that. This is a place that I don't do well, honestly. I don't sit my daughter down on a regular basis and say, hey, this is what Jesus did in my life. This is how he changed my life. As I was reading and preparing for this, that's what I internalized. I'm going to start doing that. We talk about God, of course, a lot in our home. But my personal story, my daughter probably has never heard that. And I want right now for that to change. Because when the temptations of the world, and there will be temptations, I can assure you, come at them, they need to be firm and grounded in their own faith. And that won't happen accidentally. In Psalms 29, 17, it says, Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights, of, and, uh, the delights you desire. When a lot of people hear the word discipline, they think uh, correction. This doesn't say correct your children, beat your child, whip, make sure that they're in line. No, discipline comes from the word disciple. It's our responsibility to disciple our children and to lead our children. And when we do that, they will give you the peace and they will bring you the delights you desire. Because that is the one thing I would delight in. That if my daughter turns 18, 19, 20, I don't think she's ever leaving our house. But when she eventually maybe moves out... I want her to know God more than anything else. There's very few things I care about more than that. And I know that if that's who she turns out to be, I've won. I've done what I can do. Because I want her to have the community that she has right now forever. I want her to raise the standards in her own family when she has one, not yet. And I want her to have a faith that she's willing to share. This part of the message I really debated putting in here because I didn't want it to feel like I was bragging. 
One of my favorite things in the world is that my daughter doesn't come into my house, walk in the door, throw her shoes off, and run upstairs. She participates in what we're doing. She comes in, she sits on the couch next to us, she'll watch TV with us, she'll have conversations. And to me, it's because I think, I think we've done things a little bit right. She wants to be around us. And believe it or not, it was about a month ago, we were driving home from volleyball, and she goes, you guys are good parents. And I about wrecked into a ditch, y'all. And again, I don't say that to brag. I'm trying to be vulnerable here and just say that if I can do it, who I'm pretty sure I suck all the time, if she says you're good parents, man, anyone's capable of it. My wife's still better at it, just to be clear. (laughs) Way better at it. Some of you in the room are like, I don't even know where to start with this. I don't, pray. God can stand beside you and help you find the vulnerability to start this process with your kids. Don't go all at once. <laughs> they're they're going to see through that and like, well, something's off here. God loves imperfect people just like me. The Bible is full of imperfect people doing incredible things. And you guys can be incredible parents. And if you're not a parent yet, you will eventually be a parent. Incredible. You are way ahead of the curve. This stuff applies to friendships as well. It applies to so many different things going on in your life as well. I'm hoping some of the room's like, I don't have a kid, but this is good for me too. If we want our kids to love God and to grow to be incredible human beings, it takes all of us. Everyone in this room, I love that about our child dedications, is we ask parents to stand up, extended family, and the entire church. Child dedications are coming up here this month, I believe. And if you're part of that, you'll see. It takes every single one of you speaking into my daughter to make sure that her roots grow deep. And some of you in this room have done just that, and I love the snot out of you for it. So again, guys, if you remember what those three things are, read those off with me. What do we need to do in order to get our kids to love God more than anything else? What are the three gifts? It's a spirit. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. It's a community worth having. You guys throw those up on the screen for me. It's a standard worth achieving, and it's a faith that's worth sharing. Let's pray, guys. God, thank you so much for the ability to come into this room and to to be quiet for a little while and just to listen to you and to ultimately grow better as parents, Lord. Whether we're parents or we will be parents or we'll hopefully be parents or whether we're just adopted parents to the other kids that are scurrying around here on a Sunday morning, I thank you and I praise you for giving us the ability to show up and show up well for them. God, I pray that every one of us is reignited with a passion for parenting today, that we are encouraged to parent on purpose, that we are encouraged to be better than we were yesterday, that we're encouraged to love our children, to love God. Lord, I know I don't do this right all the time. And I thank you for the the mercy that you show me for failing at times, and I, and I love that I get to show up better next time. Lord, I pray right now that any fear in this room about how to show up well for our kids is just squashed, that our eyes are open, that our hearts are open, that our mind is ready to embrace 
everything that you have for us, that we can shower that onto our kids. Lord, we love you so much. As we go through this, I'm sure there are people in this room who don't even know who I'm talking about. I'm going to give you guys a second that I'm going to count to three here in a little bit. And if you've never met God, you don't know who God is, and you don't even sure what I'm talking about, I want to invite you to start a relationship with him today. Because I can tell you, you're not going to get your kids on a path to loving God unless you know him yourself. Unless you have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. So on the count of three, if that's you today and you want to raise your hand and say, I'm in today, I am ready to say yes. What I'm doing isn't working. My parenting isn't working. My life isn't working, but I know through you it can. I want to follow you today. If that's you, raise your hand. Three, two, one. Thank you, guys. There are hands in this room, people. For those of you that raise your hand, know that you are not alone, that we are welcoming you into this family today, and we're going to pray. In this church, we do not pray alone. So let's pray, everyone out loud. Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and my failings. Make me brand new today. Fill me with your spirit and show me how to live for you. And help me to help others find you too. Lord, we love you. Amen. That's incredible, guys. We had hands in here. Can we celebrate? Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.